So let's go to God in prayer. God, we do thank you for this time to get together on this Lord's Day to worship you, God, in your house, in your church. Lord, please be with us now. Speak to us, God. Help us to hear. Help us to understand what it is that you have for us in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The verses for today is Proverbs 25, 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. So everyone, all of us have a spirit. According to Proverbs, we need to rule over our own spirit. But what exactly is the spirit of man? To answer that, let's look at what man is. Man is said to be created in the image of God. The God is a trinity, and so is man. But what exactly is a trinity? The trinity, or the Godhead, which is the Bible word for trinity, consists of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's not three gods, like the Russellites, who call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses, think. I don't like calling them Jehovah's Witnesses because they're false witnesses. They're not actually witnesses of our God, Jehovah. They're just followers of a man named Russell from 100 or 200 years ago. Um, that heresy is much older than that. It's called Arianism. It's named after a man that promoted that heresy many centuries ago. People have been teaching that Jesus and God are the Father and Holy Spirit are separate gods, that Jesus is a lesser God. They've been teaching that for centuries. Um, it still goes on today. Another false way of understanding the Godhead is that there's just one God in three forms. Um, they, that's called modalism. Oneness Pentecostals believe that. We have some of them around here, I think. Um, it's weird. They, in effect, believe Jesus was really just praying to himself when he prayed to God the Father because they're all the same person, just taking on different forms. Um, that doesn't make any sense, and it's not true. The reality is that it's one God in three persons. This concept of the Godhead is very important. The Bible teaches it clearly in 1 John 5, 7. So in 1 John 5, 7, it says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Notice it says these three persons are one God. That verse is one of the most attacked verses in the Bible. It's most hated. It simultaneously refutes the error of the JWs and the Mormons on the one hand and the Oneness Pentecostals on the other hand. It's blatantly removed in new phony versions of the Bible. Sometimes they don't even bother to change the verse numbers. I've seen the verse numbers go from 6 to 8, skipping 7 entirely in the fake Bibles. Kind of makes it obvious that they're taking something out, but I guess they don't care. But now consider this next verse about the Godhead. In Romans 1, verse 20, we read, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. It says his Godhead, the fact that God is three in one, is understood by the things that are made. How is this so? Well, the creation's full of examples. Start with creation itself, the universe. The universe is made up basically of space and time and matter. Um, time isn't matter and space isn't time, but get rid of any of these, you don't even have a universe. Consider also space itself. It has height, width, and depth, you know, three dimensions. If you all remember geometry, you know, without one of these three dimensions, you'd only have a plane. 
Without two, you'd only have a line. You wouldn't have space at all. Um, and consider time. Time's the past, present, and the future. The past isn't the future, but they're both time. Without either of those, and you have no time at all, how can you have a past if you don't have a present? Um, so this Trinitarian concept of the Godhead, this three-in-one nature, is in the very fabric of existence. It's a proof of our God in the, our Bible, and it's everywhere. And because of this, unbelievers in that verse are said to be without excuse when they worship idols instead of the true God, even if they don't have Bibles. We as men are a trinities also. Our trinity is body, soul, and spirit. Everyone knows what the body is, but what about the soul and spirit? The soul and spirit are both part of the inner man, the spiritual part that's unseen. The spirit is the part of us that thinks, the soul is the part of us that feels, generally speaking. Elihu said in Job 32, verse 8, he said, But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Notice spirit was associated with understanding, with thinking. But in Deuteronomy 12, it says, When the Lord thy God shall enlarge thy border, as he hath promised thee, and thou shalt say, I will eat flesh, because thy soul longeth to eat flesh, thou mayest eat flesh, whatsoever thy soul lusteth after. Soul was associated, associated with desire in that verse. It's your feelings and your emotions. A way to understand the soul and spirit are to understand that they are like a husband and wife. They are joined together closely, like a husband and wife should be, uh, like joints and marrow and bone marrow are. Marrow is the stuff inside your bones. It gives life to your flesh. Um, it produces blood, which carries that life-giving oxygen, the breath of life. When people think of bones, they think of dead things, but the bones in our body are alive. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Bones and marrow are part of one flesh, and soul and spirit are part of one spirit, if you will. So sometimes God calls both soul and spirit just spirit. So one example is in 2 Corinthians 7. It says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness, filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The spirit in this passage refers to the whole inner man, soul and spirit, in contrast to the flesh, which is the physical part of man. But other times, soul and spirit are described as being separate. So in 1 Corinthians 5, 23, you read, And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. Holy like entirely, not holy like holy and separate. And I pray, God, your whole, that is your entire spirit and soul and body, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice it had soul, body, and spirit were all listed there. The soul and the spirit were two different things in that passage. This unity and diversity is also like a husband and wife. So like James and Christie, they're two separate people but they're both Newman. Um, you could even say they're both James Newman, though we don't hear the usage very much today. They're Mr. and Mrs. James Newman. Usually only hear that usage at a wedding, but the Bible has that same usage in Genesis 5. It says, this is the book of the generation, generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he, created he them, and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. He called their name Adam. They were Adam and Eve, but they're also known as Mr. and Mrs. Adam. 
We see the similarity between man and wife and spirit and soul also in the gender the Bible gives to the word spirit and soul. In Psalms 34, it says, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord, the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Mm. Psalms 34 is a psalm of David. It says it right at the top. Um, this is a psalm of David. He being a man, nevertheless called his soul a her. And look at this in 1 Peter 3. It says, Likewise, likewise ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. The wives have a spirit that is called the hidden man of the heart. We can also infer from this that the spirit needs to rule the soul, just like a godly man rules over a godly wife. Women are more emotional in general, and men are more logical. Thoughts need to rule over feelings when it comes to decision-making. In the end, good thoughts will lead to good feelings, just like a household well-ruled by a husband will tend to lead to a happy wife. An example of the spirit leading the soul is found in Mary, the mother of our Lord, when she was speaking in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. She, it said, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations will call me blessed. So while she was there rejoicing in the fact that you know, she was to have Jesus Christ, um, the Savior, you know, to be able to be the mother of the Savior, she said her spirit or her thoughts rejoiced. It was in past tense. You know, my spirit hath rejoiced, but my soul doth magnify the Lord. It was her, her spirit or thoughts that, were, that caused her soul or feelings to magnify the Lord in the present tense. Her mind led and her feelings then followed. She thought about it and thinking about it is what made her soul rejoice, what made her feelings follow her um, thoughts. But with all this as a background, I want to tie it together back to our original verse in Proverbs 25. So reading that again, it says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. A broken down city with no walls is weak. It can't be defended easily. If it is broken down, it'll be disorganized. It'll be hard to keep things in order. You can look at this verse and say it refers to keeping your emotions in check. That certainly could be part of it. Here's a related verse in Proverbs 16, 32. It says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. In this verse, it is likening being slow to anger as having rule over the spirit. But I think in both of these verses, there is something more than just directly trying to control your emotions. It's talking about how we need to rule not just our feelings, but our thoughts as well. Feelings generally can't be directly controlled anyways. We need to change what we think to change how we feel. Feelings should be in subjection to thoughts, but there is also a part of us that needs to control our thoughts also. Going back to man being in the image of, the God, of God, remember the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is not three gods. It's, it's more than that. It's... Um, so we don't just have a body and have a soul and have a spirit. We are those things. They make us human. And this man or woman that we are, composed of these three parts, has a will wherein we can decide what we do or think or indirectly even what we feel. God also has a will, 
and is always united in his will. In John 5, it says, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself but that which, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also the Son likewise. We also have a will, and our will needs to be one with God's will, just like the Lord Jesus' will was one with God's will. We can choose not to just to put our rational thoughts ahead of our feelings, but we need to choose to rule our thoughts also. We need to control what we think about. This can be very hard to do sometimes. I know when I pray, I try to pray for everyone in my family, everyone in church, individually, by name, every day. I try to not just recite a list of names, but really pray with meaning. It's hard. My mind very easily wanders. I often realize I just wasted 20 precious minutes or more thinking about things when I really needed to be laboring in prayer. And I hardly even started praying for everyone and everything I needed to. But if we want to be well defended in our Christian walk, we need to have rule over our thoughts. We must try not to let our minds wander wherever they want to go, but instead choose what to think on. In Philippians 4, it says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. We need to choose to think on things that are true and honest and pure, not lies, deceit, or dishonesty, not impurity. We should not be unjust with our neighbors by evilly surmising things about them. When we think about lying, it will eventually lead to dissembling and prevarication coming out of our mouths. This ought not to be. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, 27, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Our thoughts are like a candle, but these thoughts need to be lightened by God. In, in Psalms 18, it says, For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord will enlighten my darkness. In Luke 11, it says, Take heed, therefore, the, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. So how do we light the candle? By the word of God. Psalms 119 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Hearing preaching is good, but that is, not, that is not enough word of God. We need to read the Bible every day. In Job 23, Job said, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job thought God's word was more important than food. Do we ever forget to eat for a whole day? Or are we too busy to eat all day long? If not, we better not forget or neglect daily Bible reading because it's more important. In conclusion, we need to rule our spirits. We need to control what we think about or we'll be like a defeated city. A defeated city is a place the enemy can come marching into at any time. And we have an enemy, the devil. He is like a roaring lion. We need walls to keep him out of our mind. We need to pray every day, read our Bible every day, lift up our voices to God and praise every day. Our thoughts are so very important. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 55. It says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Do we need mercy? Do we need pardon? 
then we need to forsake wicked thoughts. There's a few verses here in Matthew where it's stated a few different ways um, where the Lord talks about our mind and our soul and loving God. And he says this, it said, Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. We need to rule our spirits and be better than he that taketh a city, like that proverb said. Imagine being so powerful that you could lead an army and take an entire city. The Bible says we're better than that if we can rule our own spirit. Ruling our spirit, controlling our thought life is the only way we can keep the first and greatest commandment. Without keeping that, we'll have little hope of winning the kingdom. We do not want to miss the kingdom. Lord God, I do thank you for this time that we had to gather together, God, and hear the preaching of the word of God. Lord, I pray that this will sink into our ears and will help change us, God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.